Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. Today's show is all the things What She Said listeners have come to expect with interviews that cover just about everything a woman could want. From social good that will change the world, an interview with a star, financial advice through divorce, beauty and song, this week has it all, starting with a topic we can all relate to, equity in the workplace. Women have carried the brunt of the economic, social, and labor consequences of the pandemic, inspiring new ideas like she-session, she-covery, and my personal favorite, the mandemic. With governments and business leaders talking about a feminist post-COVID recovery, Ontario's Pay Equity Office wants to level the paying field. Katie Ward, Commissioner and CAO of the Ontario Pay Equity Commission, joins me to share details about their six-part series, Level the Paying Field, that explores issues related to economics, equity, women, work, and money. During the pandemic, many Canadians experienced something they never experienced before drug shortages. With supply chain and manufacturing issues, even the most basic medications were difficult to keep in stock. In underdeveloped countries, drug shortages have been a reality for much longer, with 1.6 million preventable African deaths per year from malaria, HIV, AIDS, and tuberculosis, all treatable ailments. Morna Key Ola Shebakon shares how her pharmaceutical factory in a box is poised to change all that. Anne Brody is taking a well-deserved hiatus this week to recover from TIFF, but she isn't leaving us high and dry because this lady never stops. You'll definitely want to hear her interview with Ashley Zuckerman, who stars in The Lost Code, the origin series of the Dan Brown symbologist character that kicks off on Chorus's showcase October 11th. With divorce rates rising by as much as 30% during COVID, there was no way we couldn't address it as part of our ongoing personal finance masterclass with Meridian Credit Union. In the sixth of our eight classes, Teresa Valenti, Senior Wealth Advisor with Meridian Credit Union, joins me to share what women can expect when going through a divorce. Graydon Moffat, a local Torontonian founder and superfood mixologist, is behind Graydon Skincare. Often referred to as a skincare chef, Graydon is reimagining the beauty industry in a way that's more nourishing than ever before. Graydon joins me to share how she's keeping beauty for the earth and us in the beauty industry. Finally, what we all need is more music in our lives. Carolyn Marie Brooks joins me to discuss her new album, Everything at the Same Time, and closes out the show with To the Waves, one of the singles off her new album. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. Give me my 
Women have carried the brunt of the economic, social, and labor consequences of the pandemic, inspiring new ideas like she session and she covery, and my recent favorite, the mandemic. With governments and business leaders talking about a feminist post-COVID recovery, Ontario's Pay Equity Office wants to level the paying field. Level the Paying Field is a series that explores issues related to economics, equity, women, work, and money, and aims to elevate the equity conversation to make the world a more equitable place for women to work, live, and thrive while it supports closing the gender wage gap. Katie Ward is the Commissioner and CAO of the Ontario Pay Equity Commission and joins me now with more details on leveling the paying field. Welcome to the show, Katie. Thank you so much for having me, Candice. All I have to say first and foremost is I hope that whoever came up with the name Level the Paying Field got a raise. (laughs) Did you give yourself a raise? Because that's a great name. (laughs) I didn't. I had a moment where Level the Playing Field is a common idiom we hear. And I called a friend of mine that was a sports journalist and I said, can you explain that to me? Because I don't, I can ever, never imagine a case where a hockey rink would be unlevel, a soccer field would be unlevel. Like, why do we keep saying level the playing field? That makes zero sense. There would never be a case. He said, yeah, you're right. It's kind of a weird thing. And it just occurred to me that, you know, level the paying field is what we should be talking about. Because why, if we agree that it makes no sense to have these unequal opportunities, you know, the, the, the field slanted in advantage to one team than the other, why would we do that in the, in the pay space and in the job space and men versus women in pay equity? So that's where that came from. It's perfect. Um, actually, when it was first sent through to me, I had to read it a couple of times before I clued into it because your brain just wants to go to what you know. Uh, so, and then once I got it, I, I, I loved it. So let's talk about the inspiration behind it, though. I mean, I'm thinking the pandemic might have had something to do with this. Absolutely. You said in your intro, we know women have suffered a lot of disadvantages and, and regression in progress in the workforce. And so we thought, hey, we need to elevate this conversation. And what was interesting is that in the middle of a pandemic, global multinationals came together. So like UN, International Labor Organization, OECD, um, these big, huge organizations came together and created the first ever International Equal Pay Day, which is celebrated on September 18th now annually. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Why are they bringing this to light now? And, you know, the optimist in me, and, and as you mentioned, we're talking about she session, she recovery, feminist post-COVID recovery. The optimist in me thinks, well, because pay equity is part of the economic recovery conversation, and we have to make sure that it stays that way. So we wanted to continue the conversation, not just have a one-day international equal pay day celebration. We wanted to have a, a, an evergreen conversation about these issues. That's sort of the problem I find is that we get behind these days Uh, And it's a one day thing. We put all the effort into it and then the conversation just drops off. So I'm glad that you plan on keeping the conversation going with these. Can you tell me about what the series, what the topics of conversation are in this series? Sure. We start um, with a conversation with International Equal Pay Day and kind of a global look at um, pay and women and work across across the world. So this is not, you know, we're in, we're in Canada, we're in Ontario, we have this challenge, but it's a global challenge. So we contextualize it globally. And then we step back and we actually talk about the origins of the pay of the pay gap are are, uh, rich, but we step back and really talk about, you know, gender discrimination, because that's where the origins lie, that women are clustered 
in jobs and those jobs are devalued because there's certain belief that women's work is X and men's work is Y. So that devaluation is something we um, discuss the origins of. And then we move into cover myths of the gender wage gap. So, you know, oftentimes we hear, well, the gender wage gap exists because women don't negotiate or women take a maternity leave or blah, 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 blah. Whatever those myths are, number one, they always place women as the problem, not uh, society or not the system. So that's a big lie. Um, so anyway, we deconstruct those myths and we demonstrate that, you know, these are myths that in fact perpetuate the wage gap because we continue to justify them. Then we move into a conversation about women in the pandemic. We know that women were disproportionately affected as mothers, as workers, as frontline workers, as nurses, but they also took exceptional leadership and we celebrate, you know, we, we do talk about the challenges, but we also celebrate the amazing breakthroughs women had in terms of leadership roles and not, I mean, you know, not being um, global doctors, but, but being, you know, community leaders and making huge impact in their community. And then we talk about a report from McKinsey about women at work and statistics uh, North American wide. And we close the, the six part series on a conversation with the federal pay equity commissioner and um, pay equity analysts from Iceland and other countries about the sort of future of pay equity and what pay equity looks like globally and where is Canada's place uh, in the world when it comes to pay equity. We should talk a little bit about what have we lost in this pandemic and what have we gained? You know, we tend to want to go, the sky is falling, you know, it's all, it's all over. Uh, but there have been, there have been bright spots. So maybe let's talk a little bit about what we've lost and what you think are some bright spots that we're looking at. So what we've lost, I mean, the numbers are there in terms of women's participation in the labor force is the lowest it's been since the 80s, 90s, depending on what statistic you're using. Um, so that's been a significant loss. And that's in part because the sectors where women work, where women are clustered, have been hardest hit. So that's been um, a significant loss. I mean, having women outside of the workforce is not just money lost in their pockets. Frankly, it's talent. It's diversity of thought. It's what women bring that add innovation and a new way of looking at things. So that's significant in and of itself. Dollar value wise, um, not having women in the workplace, you know, equitably as men and not paying them equitably costs us about 100 to 150 billion GDP every year. That um, there's two reports, McKinsey and RBC, they have different numbers respectively, but regardless, 100 to 150 billion is a significant amount of money lost to our economy by not paying women equally. And that's important when it comes to things like consumer spending, that money goes into women's pocket, then it gets reinvested in their families, in their communities. And that's significant because about 57% of Canada's GDP is from household spending. So that's a big loss when you're pushing the, the, the spenders out of the workforce. In terms of the gains, so what I find interesting in my lifetime, Candice, I've never seen and heard so many politicians, so many business people actually talking about women and work and actually talking about inequalities in the economy. So this to me was like a real wonderful, unintended, positive consequence that people are paying attention now. They're realizing that this is a significant problem. And you already said, and I've said, like, she session, she covery, like these are not terms you would have had without where we're at right now. So the upside for me is that these issues have taken center stage and policymakers are paying attention, legislators are paying attention, uh, business leaders are realizing as well that they need to run and have equitable compensation packages, but also just 
diversity in their workforce. So that has been a really positive boom. And the reason why we've got to keep talking about it so that after the pandemic it just doesn't go away. We have a she-covery and then it just moves into something else, right? We need to keep the conversation going. I live and exist in a little bit of a echo chamber. I mean, this is what she said. I do everything through the lens of a woman. Uh, so, you know, I, of course, I think, you know, oh, we're talking about this a lot, but that's, but I'm, I'm glad to hear that you are seeing that outside that, that this is conversation is being picked up. And I think that feminism really did get a little bit of a boost because of this pandemic, because, um, you know, women just are not willing to let the, let their rights go. And so thankfully, <laughs> we're talking more about these issues. Well, and a significant portion of the gender wage gap is, you know, we know it widens and begins usually a well, big part is maternity leave when women take unpaid care work, right? Which you care for your family, you love your children, of course, you're going to do this. But it does start to widen the gap. And so part of the conversation has been the pushback from women saying, look, you can't expect me to be a full-time worker, a full-time mother, a full-time educator. Like women take on a disproportionate amount of, of unpaid care work at home. And that's another positive thing that's come out of this is now we're talking about it. And there's real conversations, probably real challenges uh, in marriages because of this. But the reality is we have to address those domestic challenges for women and the sort of caregiver responsibility roles, which COVID made very obvious that women are the leaders in that space. And for better or for worse, fathers, if, if it's a you know heteronormative family, whatever, the partners have to step up and take control together. I, I could probably spend the entire hour talking to you, uh, but we only have 10 minutes. So we're going to have to wrap this one up. Um, but I do want people to be able to find the series because it's incredibly important. And obviously it's filled with um, great information. So where can people find this series? They can go to levelthepayingfield.ca and they, every the next six weeks, we, we're at the second week. So you'll be seeing live episodes come on Wednesdays, uh, but the content will be on there um, archived forever. We're going to keep publishing and keep promoting. So levelthepayingfield.ca. All right. We're going to have to have you back. Thanks so much for joining Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Thanks, Candice. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. During the pandemic, many Canadians experienced something for the first time, drug shortages. With supply chain and manufacturing issues, even the most basic medications were difficult to keep in stock. In underdeveloped countries, drug shortages have been a reality for much longer, with 1.6 million preventable African deaths per year from malaria, HIV, AIDS, and tuberculosis, all treatable ailments. Marenike Ola Oshe Bikan wants to change that and through her company Kemet Advanced Manufacturing is poised to change the face of medicine forever. Welcome to what she said, Marenike. Thank you so much, Candice. Thank you. I want to talk to you about this because I think it is just incredible 
incredible what you have developed. So let's start. What inspired you to start this? Honestly, it's a childhood dream. And I, I, I know it might sound goofy saying that on a serious topic about, you know, with women in science, technology, engineering, math, and building something for social change. But really, it was a childhood dream because I had learned about entire villages of parents dying from HIV. And over time, I learned that actually what women were consuming when they thought they were taking meds was baking soda. And so you would have women passing on the infection to their children while consuming counterfeit medications. And just over years of learning, and now I'm a pharmacist, I own my own businesses. I just have always had this nagging about access to medications, about health injustice, about just not having equitable health outcomes. And so somewhere in May, 2018, I started traveling African countries as a pharmacist with, I guess, this perspective of pharmaceutical manufacturing to understand why in this day and age, we can't access good quality medications in across Africa. And that's what brought me here. Those, those uh, visits and those trips and the delegation, the trade delegations revealed a lot to me about how the problem continues to be held in place and the absence of sustainable solutions. Let's break it down then for people listening. How does this technology work? We're still in our proof of concept stage, first of all. So we don't yet have the first portable factory. How it will work is that we will be able to manufacture on-demand medications. It is reconfigurable so that we can customize the drug manufacturing to what is needed in the particular area that it's needed. And it's also scalable. So the idea is to have this miniaturized, transportable drug manufacturing factory that allows a tiny little country like Botswana to make what it needs for itself, but then it's scalable so that if we need something different in Malawi, we can do that there as well. And it's digitally interconnected. And so the hope is that over the next year, I finish my proof of concept phase, I do my technical validation and validate some of the business model so that by next year, this time we have our first factory and we are looking at tech transfer then to an African country, most likely Botswana. So I want people to be able to visualize this though, because, uh, you know, I read it's called a factory in a box. Yes. Yes. So they're made of intermodal shipping containers. So what we've done is we've put a bunch of the intermodal shipping containers and connected them together so that we are able to reduce the footprint of medication manufacturing. And that's why we stay calling it a factory in a box because it has this set, this feel of these intermodal shipping containers to make it modular. Um, and then we also have it in such a way that if we want to change from one form of manufacturing to the other, we can do that as well. You are, this is not uh, obviously out there yet, but you're, you're getting very close. How long have you been developing this since 2018? Is that what you said? Well, 2018 is, this is when I started traveling to understand the problem. And when I started to actually put the design on paper and I have engineers building it out with me, that would have been from last year. 
I imagine that funding now is the biggest issue for you. Is that correct? Funding is the biggest issue for us. We're really thankful for some of the opportunities we've been exposed to. We're continuously looking for investors who believe in our vision and who want to partner with us. And if there's anyone like that out there, they can reach me through our email and our website at kemet.care, K-E-M-E-T dot C-A-R-E. But even just the... Um, some of the deeper uh, technical expertise around regulatory, one of the one of the bigger hurdles we're sure that is going to be a continuous learning for us is the international regulatory world around medication manufacturing, especially in the African context. So we're interested in strategic partnerships like uh, like that, and and just hopeful that we get more support with grants and awards and investments. Okay, I want people to be able to find find you. Then you just you just gave a little shout out for your your business there. But uh, one more time uh, now because we're at the end of the broadcast. So where can people website please and social media where they can follow along find out more and support you so you can find us at kemet.care k-e-m-e-t dot c-a-r-e so that's kemet.care and linkedin we're super active on linkedin so if you go on linkedin and you google or sorry you search kemet group uh k-e-m-e-t so kemet group of companies or kemet group you'll find us because we're very active there all right. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're going to change the world with this. All right. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Bye. And Brody is taking a well-deserved break this week, but before she left, she shared this next interview with Ashley Zuckerman, who stars in The Lost Code, airing on Chorus's Showcase October 11th. Ashley, what a thrilling series. Um, it's about a lot of things. It's about the CIA, it's about crime, it's about personal relationships, and, um, you know, it's a thriller. But to me, it's about obsession. Hmm. He, Robert Lang, Langdon, is an obsessive person. Um, he has to be to ever have gotten into the line of work he's in. Tell me if you agree with that and, and what you know about him in your own mind. That's a really, I think that's an interesting observation. I, I think that's true. I think he, he is obsessed. And, and I think most of the characters, or definitely, you know what, there's, like the um, the antagonist we made in the in the pilot, Malak. I, I I did always think of like of Robert Langdon and Malak as two sides of the same coin. They are both obsessed, but in different ways. And and that so we in turn with Robert Langdon, his obsession is it's interesting. He's got like a an, a, an obsession towards the negative. He's obsessed with believing that myth isn't real. He actually, and, and anyone who proposes the idea that it might be real, he will shut down. And that reveals something about him. It, it reveals a lack of openness that actually is more about him personally than it is about anything that he's aware of. So I think that's a very, that's a yeah. really good idea. 
I think it's also about he doesn't want to entertain this idea that everything he's done is for nothing, I suppose, as well. Yeah. Well, I think like the way I thought about him was that, you know, my, or my way in was that he's a guy that knows so much. He's so deeply intelligent and that in most people that frees them. And for him, it traps, traps him because wow. some, yeah, that something happens, something happened, which we explore a little in the pilot. And then as the series progresses, something happened to him when he was younger that he can't understand. And it's given him this, this love of knowledge, this pursuit of knowledge to try to understand. But at, at every point, he has found no reason to understand the unknown and which has only made him believe in it less and be then believe in himself less. And there's one thing for that to be about myth and about uh, religion. It's another thing or faith. It's another thing for that. To, then what I think the Langdon that we see, especially the younger Langdon is that it then means that he conflates that idea with not being able to trust feelings like trust and love. And I think that's an interesting idea. So I, I, obsession is a, it's an interesting thing. So I, it's I, like someone who's obsessed with numbers or ancestry, or it's something they think they can conquer somehow. Yes. Yeah. That, 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 they're, that actually stops them from seeing the woods from the trees. And I think yes. that's Yeah. Yeah. Such an interesting character. Oh my goodness. Uh, and of course, there's a lot of sci-fi elements naturally, but, um, the effects I found to be really good. For instance, when you're trapped uh, underground in um, a special place, shall we say, yeah. it looks so real, like you're being crushed by the walls. Yeah. When Dan Trachtenberg, our director, really wanted to, like, he, he, he's, so, he, he's a love of, he has such a love of cinema, and he really wanted to do things as practical as possible. Yeah. And I, that's why it looks real, it, it, like, because that was, practical wall that we have people pushing against no so there is this idea that it can crush you and i think like and i think we try to do that as much, as often as possible we try to make the every you know it is a world of of, of ancient puzzles and ancient architecture so like that we, we try to make as many things as possible practical and yeah. sometimes yeah. that's impossible and, and sometimes that you know you know that, well, that, that was great and so many of, of them were the suspense is is really heightened in it because he's working on a, he's in a race to solve the puzzle before any number of of uh obstacles and um antagonists come out the cia the weird branch of the masons um you know and to save peter there's so much tension and it's handled so well that it's balanced and believable, which I found remarkable. So tell me about, you know, creating that balance as, as the main actor. Well, I, I will say that the burden of most of that is on the writing. And then that like, I think for, for Robert Langdon, he's put in a position where, yeah, he's conflicted himself about what's going on, but what pushes him through is that his mentor, life and death for his mentor and he has one option he has to keep going there isn't he doesn't have time to stop and question so and then we, we just see that there are all of these uh different factors trying to intercede and 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 that just raises the stakes and confuses him more and makes it even harder for him well thank you so much ashley so nice to speak with you and we'll see you next time 
more with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. If you thought weddings were expensive, wait until you find out what a divorce costs. Whether congratulations or condolences are in order, if your marriage ends, there is no denying it is an expensive process. With divorce rates rising by as much as 30% during COVID, there was no way we couldn't address it as part of our ongoing personal finance masterclass with Meridian Credit Union. In the sixth of our eight classes, Teresa Valenti, Senior Wealth Advisor with Meridian Credit Union, joins me to share what women can expect when seeking a divorce. Welcome back to the show, Teresa. Thank you, Candace. Thank you for having me. We were talking before we started this interview, and as I said to you, I'm going to try and keep my mouth closed through most of this because I am currently three and a half years into my divorce process, still not divorced. I have lots of things to say, but probably shouldn't. So (laughs) I'm going to let you take the floor. What's the biggest concern women have as they start the divorce process? Separation and divorce is one of the biggest life-changing and emotional events that a couple can have. So Forbes magazine did a study on women as they were starting separating and divorcing and asked them what their biggest concerns were. Number one was child custody. Number two was um, if they would be able to support themselves through the divorce and after. And the last one was, could they afford to actually pay for a divorce? And the two biggest financial concerns was living on one income and also, again, the cost of a divorce. And the biggest question was, what is the future going to look like? Because when you don't know what to expect through the divorce and after, the present can be terrifying. There is a lot to go on when you first hit that sort of, oh, we're getting divorced. So you're dealing with the emotional uh, trauma of it. You, you know, there is a lot to consider. Your children uh, moving, if if that's in the cards. So there's a lot. And so the financial part of it is really a big one because you want to be able to manage that one as soundly as possible because there's other things going to be pulling your attention. So let's talk about maybe managing that first. What is the first step um, for for people managing finances? The first thing to do is get legal advice. Find yourself a divorce lawyer, not just any lawyer, but someone who specializes in family and divorce situations. Um, A lot of people worry that the cost of um, a lawyer is going to be too much for them to handle. And being prepared before you go in as best as you can uh, to your first appointment can save you a lot of time. I myself am a a perfect example because I am divorced. I've been divorced um, for some time now. And when I first went into my lawyer, I didn't realize how much information that I should have collected prior to seeing him. So the more you can be prepared with all financial documentations, and also he would be able to tell you your rights, your obligations. If you need a separation agreement within that separation agreement, it can outline custody arrangements, child support and spousal support. 
So that is my first recommendation is to get your legal advice. Second is to open a bank account in your own name and start saving for yourself. Have to keep the joint account open. Got to keep those bills paid because you don't want to go into arrears with line of credits and mortgages and credit cards because it will not only affect your own, but it's going to affect your spouse too. So keep those up to date. Also gather all the documents you can. So get your statements, um, anything that you own or owe, um, because your lawyer will need all that in order to figure out the equalization. And equalization is basically um, when one spouse has more assets than the other and will have to pay to make sure that it is an equal uh, value at the end of the day. So it's just making sure that both of the spouses have an equal net worth. Track your expenses. You know, budget, if you don't want to say budget, then you can say even um, tracking your monthly monthly expenditures because people don't like that budget word, right? It's true. And, and, but I will also say that it's really important. I mean, you know, not that I love my lawyer in any way, but one of the first things he said to me, uh, which stuck with me was to keep every single receipt until the entire process was over. So I haven't, I, you know, I've tucked away every single receipt. I've filed it, organized it as I'm waiting for my divorce to be finalized, because that is important. Even though you're not living together, a judge may ask to see where your money's going. That was excellent advice you received, because that is, that is an excellent thing to do. It's basically um, getting control of your life, right? Getting control of where all your money is flowing in and out from. Uh, decision on the house is a big one. Uh, if you are going to be remaining in the house because uh, you don't want to disrupt the children's lives, the decision on who gets the house is very closely related to child custody. So, uh, but if the spouse is going to be keeping the house, they are going to have to requalify in their own name, which is uh, another, you know, another event that may happen where where if the person doesn't qualify on their own, there's a couple options you can do. Both spouses can remain in the house through a separation. While that may be difficult to do, but it is feasible if neither one of you can actually afford through the separation process to be out on your own. Uh, you could sell the house, of course. Um, another thing you could do is uh, you can keep both names on the mortgage uh, and have uh both pay into to the mortgage, but have one spouse be compensated somehow for the amount that he's putting into it or she's putting into it. So whether it be that they have it as a rental agreement, say. So there are different ways that you can do it without, um, you know, really disrupting uh, the children, especially where they're where they're used to living. Also update beneficiaries. I can't can, you know, stress this more. Update your beneficiaries of your will um, on your registered accounts, on your insurances, because that is the last thing. If you leave it, even say six months into it and something happens and you didn't get a chance to change those beneficiaries, it may inadvertently go to your ex where that's not where you wanted it to go. And talk to uh, a CFP, a certified financial planner, a chartered uh, financial divorce specialist, um, have some 
experts on your team, whether it be an accountant, um, a mediator, anybody who will be able to advise you and give you uh, kind of a future outlook based on the decisions that you are making today. Yeah, and I think, you know, we, we can't emphasize this enough. I think people are not prepared for the hit their income is going to take when divorce happens. And particularly women, the Justice of Canada, it's their own website in their own words, states that women do not recover their income for a period of six years after divorce. So we can't deny these facts. So the more you can prepare, the better you understand what you're facing, the better for everybody. Right. So that's, that's a good thing is um, do expect your income to go down, right? It's inevitable. Um, so that's where your tracking of expenses really becomes important because now you're dealing with after divorce expenses going into the future, which are going to be very different. Um, I really stress, though, that don't overlook uh, any kind of savings that you may be contributing to your, your retirement. I understand that it may be a, an adjustment, right? Getting, getting used to the one income. But if you can, even if it's a smaller amount, do not forget about your retirement income or your retirement savings. Good questions, but we are running out of time because oh, time is, it went so fast, Teresa. So thankfully, we have divided this class into two. Yes. Uh, so I hope we've given enough, some people some food for thought for that first, those first sort of steps. And I will add, you know, you, you sort of put a financial advisor down at the end. I think really your lawyer and your financial advisor should be seen at the same time. It's so important. I can't stress that enough, uh, but we're going to have you back. But in the meantime... Where can people go to find out more? www.meridiancu.ca. And even Wonderful. in that, and on that website, you'll be able to go in tools and calculators and find um, a budget app that you can go in and, and record your expenses. Incredible. We're, we're going to pick this up again next month. Important topic. Uh, and people can go to uh, what she said talk.com and they can catch previous episodes of this masterclass. And so they all sort of work into one to another. So uh, go by all means and check that out. Thanks so much for joining me today, Teresa. You're welcome, Candace. Thank you. shift in the beauty industry as women are actively seeking brands that are as transparent in their ingredient list as they are natural in their products. Transitioning to clean beauty need not be overwhelming, though. Creating a sustainable routine can be truly pleasurable, and good skin days every day really are possible, according to Graydon Moffat, a local Torontonian founder and superfood mixologist behind Graydon Skincare. Inspired by her background as a former chef and yoga practitioner, Graydon's vegan, cruelty-free, award-winning formulas pair the best of plant power with clinically proven clean ingredients and with a commitment to sustainability. Graydon joins me now to discuss the move to clean beauty. Welcome to the show, Graydon. Thank you so much. Really great to be here. There are two words, superfood and skincare, that I have never heard 
paired together. So I'm curious how this came to be. It really has become a trend now, but before superfoods were even popular or even called superfoods, I was using them. And that's when I was at the time living in Southern California, working as a vegan chef and really getting into yoga before yoga was popular. And I started making these superfood extract masks. And I was working with a holistic kind of celebrity esthetician at the time, and she was having really fabulous results. Can you give me an example then of a superfood that you would use in in a um, product? For sure. Well, one of our products is called a very rich face and eye cream. Its ingredient list is is a little bit like a smoothie or a a breakfast bowl. So um, berries, um, we use a, a wild blueberry uh, oil that also helps um, with shielding your skin from blue light. There's a, a vegan probiotic. There's also blue algae, which is uh, the trade name is um, um, Blue Magic. And it's uh, it's incredible. It's full of protein and enzymes and amino acids. And like, those are all really great, super powered superfoods. Like it's quite amazing that certainly they're known as very nutrient dense things, which you, one can ingest but they also work on your skin. Um, and uh, I'm really glad to say that we've got like, tons of testimonials. Um, we've won awards. Um, and, and we actually work with um, ingredients that are clinically um, tested and recognized for their impact. Like I could go on, I know we have limited time here, but like retinol is another one. So everybody's familiar with regular retinol, but retinol can also come from a a legume called the moth bean. It's an Indian Southeast Asian thing that you can actually eat. If you go to little India, you can find them. Um, But that when you like, I have this massive lab report about how a moth bean extract is really like a natural retinol alternative. Very similar results with really like without the irritation and that a lot of people experience with more of a conventional. So it's just a different approach. And, uh, you know, even a lot of pharmaceuticals, they come from a plant-based product. So it is just harnessing goodness of mother nature and turning it into, um, usually have to extract it and concentrate it. It's not like making broccoli soup. (laughs) We're not talking actual fruit purees. Like there is actual science that goes into this. Um, and, And not all natural products are good for your skin. So you have to be careful. Like you know, it, it's, it's this whole that natural beauty, clean beauty thing. Um, you, you have, you have to filter even the natural stuff. It's, it's not just a everything just because it comes from a plant is good for you. Let's talk about sustainability for a second then, because I think that's top of mind for everybody, no matter what it is you're purchasing. Absolutely. Sustainability is huge. How is your company addressing that uh, in the beauty industry? Yeah, it, it informs all of our sourcing decisions and um, for sure um, our ingredients, like again, the retinol that I was talking about, like we actually like look at the reports of the farmer's fields and where it comes from and how it's harvested and how it, you know, you don't want to actually disrupt the ecosystem. So there's ingredient sustainability uh, and, you know, just ethically grown and produced, like you wouldn't want to be using uh, inappropriate labor to grow things. Um, so that's, that's an, a sustainable and ethical hybrid um, sort of topic. But then there's packaging as well, which is 
maybe what people relate to more. So I don't think anybody wants to contribute to climate change (laughs) or pollution, Um, but it's hard when you go, you go to a supermarket or a, at a pharmacy, like we're, we're sold at, we're sold at um, shoppers online and at the Bay now. And um, you think, well, gosh, what do I do with these bottles and these droppers? And some of them you can actually put in your municipal recycling bin, but it's like the droppers and the caps and the mixed plastic and the colored plastic that aren't as um, easy to deal with. So we're focusing on using materials that are easy to recycle. And we're also using materials that are made from recycled goods like PCR. Now we're participating in a program. This could be a completely different conversation called PACT, which is new. It's actually part of Hudson's Bay. Um, And you can actually recycle your otherwise hard to recycle items like the dropper serums or the pumps. the, the, the offenders that end up in turtles' noses. Yeah, so we got to get those little things, those challenging things out of the system and diverted from landfill. And remarkably, the technology is just beginning to happen. We will be amongst the first 50 brands in the world participating in this program. So, and that's the, what we're all looking for is products that not just good for us, but good for the planet. planet. Uh, you know, it yeah. all works together. So I want people to be able to find you, Graydon, and find out more. Where can they find your website and where can they find you on social? For sure. Well, our social handle is, at, you know, at Graydon Skincare. So just look at Graydon Skincare and you will find us. Um, and interestingly, if you just Google Graydon Skincare, you'll see some of our retail partners that pop up. We rank lower in the SEO, but greatenskincare.com, pretty simple. And I am great in Moffat. I'm a real person. Oh, excellent. Great. I'm applauding your success. It's wonderful. It's great to see. So thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, and you. we'll have you back again. I would love that. Okay. Cheers. Have a story for what she said? Email us at 1059theregion.com. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. Come on, let's go What we all need in our lives right now is more music. My next guest, Carolyn Marie Brooks, one-third of the group Good Lovelies, has released her debut solo album, Everything at the Same Time. The 11-song collection includes previously released singles Night Drive and Vitamin. Carolyn joins me now to discuss and to share her single To the Waves, available now wherever you listen to music. Welcome, Caroline. Hi, Candace. Thanks for having me. The past eight months have been super challenging for 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 everybody, but for yeah. creative people, it's been kind of dark. So how did you tap into the energy and the flow you needed to write this album? When the pandemic hit, I was uh, physically separated from my bandmates. I've spent a lot of time on the road and writing with Carrie and Sue, who are my uh, two-thirds of the Good Lovelies, the other two-thirds. And I'd always wanted to make a solo record. Um, 
And I don't know what it is about that time, but just being isolated from them at home with children, I had this experience of all these songs flowing out of me. So it was a bit of a gift of time for writing for me, oddly. I know it's been really challenging for some people, but I just, I tapped into something and the words and lyrics and melodies started flowing out of me. And, you know, it wasn't very long after that, that I had a full album of music ready to go. So yeah, it's been oddly quite a blessing this time. All right. Well, we're going to listen to To the Waves after this. So can you tell me the inspiration is behind this song? Yeah, this is a song uh, about trying to break free uh, from our expectations. You know, I feel like a lot of us live our lives with this idea of our value being placed in status or money or what kind of job we have or how productive we are, have, uh, how productive we are. And I, I really struggle with that because I'm raising young children and I want them to value freedom and being wild and creative and just stepping away from expectations that are put on them. So this song really lives in that place. All right. Wonderful. Well, closing out the show today is To The Waves off of Carolyn Marie Brooks' debut solo album, Everything At The Same Time. In the moonlight, your silhouette glows against the dark, I trace it. You are a wolf boy, a little wild and sad in the way I like. You stack up the wood to keep us warm, it's gonna be a long
That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.